Hello, my name's Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. Coming up today, I'll tell you about the world's first country seeking to ban quad jets, while Tom tells us why Rolls-Royce is giving up on its own quad jet testbed. Joe will look into Saudi Arabia's big plans for aviation, why I recount the headaches Lufthansa has been dealing with in the past week. Finally, I'll see where Alaskan startup Northern Pacific is with its launch plans. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And Joe, <laughs> a country seeking to ban quad jets? I can't have this on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Tom's th- A380 podcast today because it's Tom's no A380 podcast today. Well, actually, I didn't talk A380s last week, I noticed, and I have no A380 content planned for today. So You've already <laughs> mentioned it twice, though, so, you know. <laughs> so, um, the Israel Airports Authority has announced a ban on aircraft with four engines, which will come into force on March 31st next year. So, quite a short lead time. Um, They've said that it's going to be introduced due to environmental noise and sustainability concerns. Um, So with the ban in place, four-engined aircraft would only be able to operate to or from Israel in exceptional circumstances. So presumably special permission would need to be obtained um, from the Ben-Gurion airport. Um, But, you know, if there's an emergency landing situation or a governmental aircraft, I don't know, maybe Air Force One, I I presume that they would be granted special Mm. permission. I would would guess you could... Could also fly the Antonov in because you know the whole point of that aircraft is that it's it's used for when you can't carry it on anything else. So With there would still be a need, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's a rule that's not going to have massive impact, particularly for commercial aviation, because there are a total of zero scheduled commercial flights into Israel using the A340, the A380, or the 747. Um, you'll remember that flag carrier El Al retired its 747-400s just before the pandemic. Um, another airline that used to fly them in there was Delta. They flew in with their Boeing 7 sevens before they retired the type back in 2017. Um, Emirates does currently operate to Tel Aviv twice daily from Dubai, um, but it's using the twin-engine Boeing 777 aircraft. There were rumours that they might upgauge it to the A380, given the high amount of demand from Israel, um, but clearly that's not going to happen if this ban is brought into place. Um, but, you know, the, the ruling is going to have an impact, particularly on Israel, because Ben Gurion Airport does play host to a number of 747 cargo operators, including Cal, cargo Airlines, which flies its 747-400F between Tel Aviv, Liège and New York. Um, So it remains to be seen how airlines and cargo operators will react to the ban. For me, it seems like a a solution to a problem that doesn't really exist. Um, And, you know, the the, the idea that it's been brought in because of noise, efficiency and emissions, you know, four-engined airplanes aren't necessarily always noisier um, or less efficient than, you know, for instance, flying in two 787s to bring the cargo instead of one 747. Um, And particularly the 747-8, the newest iteration of the Queen, is much quieter and more efficient than any older 767s and A330s, for example. Um, 
So I don't know. It seems a, a very unusual situation. Um, and I, I wonder if it's politically motivated and maybe something to do with the rumours of uh, Emirates wanting to fly the super jumbo in. Um, but, you know, that's just my speculation. But it would have made more sense, I think, if they made a rule about acceptable thresholds for noise and emissions mm. and then let the airlines figure out how to meet them, because then that would catch the older and inefficient twin jets more than, you know, your modern four engine very efficient aircraft like the 747-8 but uh, hmm. still interesting do you think we'll see any other airports banning quad jets tom um i mean perhaps i don't think you know especially these places like um frankfurt heathrow you're not going to see that anytime soon you know um frankfurt it's got Lufthansa's 747s, mm -hmm. it's got Lufthansa's A340s, it's got going to have Lufthansa's A380s again, I think, or were they going to Munich? Maybe, mm. I don't know. Um, I should know. <laughs> um, you've got all of these other carriers flying in their 747s. It's perhaps, you know, at these smaller airports and um, where not necessarily smaller in terms of traffic, but smaller in terms of quadjet mm. um, demand, um, Perhaps, but I think in the grand scheme of things, especially the big freighter hubs, you're not going to see that anytime soon because that would do more harm than good. Mm, definitely, definitely. But you mentioned Lufthansa there. I think you've got some... Uh, oh, no, it wasn't Lufthansa, no. was it? We're talking Lufthansa's quad jets coming right later. now. <laughs> We're Tell talking me about quad jets. Quad jets. I need a quad jet segue. <laughs> um, yeah, so talking of the 747-400, um, I wanted to chat about Rolls-Royce because um, some of our long, long, long-time followers will remember back in October 2019, um, Rolls-Royce took delivery of a 747-400 that was being disposed of by Qantas. Um, so this was before the pandemic as part of Qantas's Quantus, regular 747 disposal program. Because, um, you know, when, when we look at things, you know, quad jets are favorites as flying test beds for engine manufacturers. Rolls-Royce, Pratt & Whitney and General Electric all use 747s for testing. And Airbus is even, to, I'm, I'm going there, I'm going there. Airbus is even turning its A380 <laughs> into a hydrogen you propulsion test bed. It, um, so it's quite interesting because Rolls-Royce has now decided that instead of continuing to convert this 747-400 into a flying engine testbed, it is going to be disposing of it. So, um, you know, it's stated that since the COVID-19 pandemic, its flying testbed program has a reduced scope over a longer period of time. Um, so bringing in the 747-400, it was going to fly alongside the 747-200 that Rolls-Royce already uses instead of replacing it. And that's, um, I think I read somewhere that's the only 747-200 still flying. And it's one of the, if not the oldest 747 still flying. Um, but basically, instead of pursuing the, so they've decided they don't need two engine test beds. And instead of pursuing the 747-400 as a replacement for the Dash 200, they're just going to keep the 200 going and adapt it into the ways that they want it from um, the 747. So Rolls-Royce told us in anticipation of the future flight testing load, we've acquired, we acquired the second Qantas um, 747-400, and we'd planned to transform it into an, another flying bed. Due to the COVID-19 pandemics, we've taken the decision to stop this activity and continue our future flight testing on our existing 747-200 flying test bed, which will be reconfigured to meet these requirements. The sad part of all of this is that they added, as a result of this decision, we intend to dispose of the 747-400, which is currently located in Moses Lake, Washington State, in the coming weeks. 
So this aircraft, you know, it's effectively already been sitting in Washington for three years. Rolls-Royce took delivery of it in October 2019. Qantas flew it to Los Angeles before ferrying it up to Aerotech's facilities in Moses Lake. Um, Aerotech was awarded a contract by Rolls-Royce to convert the aircraft into a flying testbed. And Rolls-Royce was to invest $70 million in the acquisition and refurbishment of the aircraft. Um there was some fanfare when it was handed over to Rolls-Royce. There was a small ceremony and lots of um, PR generated. Um, and back in 2019, Aerotech, who was going to spend two years converting the aircraft, said that the contract with Rolls-Royce would allow it to expand its facilities and create 40 new jobs at the airport. So um, the aircraft was... Um, uh, the the transferal of registration from Qantas to Rolls-Royce took place in uh, December 2020 uh, 2019 sorry and since um, the handover it's flew it's flown seven times its most recent flight was March 15th 2020 um interestingly photos of the aircraft taken between October and December 2020 show parts of the aircraft's fairing removed so that's the bits of metal that are kind of stuck on the wing box to make it smooth rather than just having loads of sticky out bits. Um, and there was a more recent photo taken in January and shared on Twitter that shows paint is missing where they would have put a pylon to add a fifth engine. So the smaller engines were going to be mounted to the top deck. Mm, so um, they started so, converting yeah. then. It suggests that work to convert the plane had started taking place. I don't know how much had been... Uh, from an external point of view, it looks like not much has uh, been achieved, but I don't know how much went on inside the aircraft. Um, mm. But, you know, all that's going to be in vain now because um, the aircraft is going to be disposed of, which I assume, you know, it, it, it doesn't look like it's going to end up with any fate other than being scrapped at this point um, yeah. from my point of view. Yeah, shame. But still, it's on, on one side, it's going to be great to see the 200 still flying. Yeah. Yeah, it's great that they're keeping that going. But, you know, this is quite some aircraft. It's already clocked 92,262 flight hours wow. with Qantas, which is equivalent to 10.53 years in the sky. Wow. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's sad to see that this is the fate of it. But, I mean, at least it got three years longer than, say, some other Qantas yeah. 747s. Definitely. I guess it's it not, a a good look for, not a good look for Rolls-Royce after they've had a couple of very difficult years to be spending all that money when mm. they've actually got a flying test bed already in their fleet. But uh, yeah, that is a shame. Mm. Things have changed a lot since 2019, I guess. Um, and one of the things that has changed since 2019, that was a terrible segue, but uh, there we go. That's what you're guessing today. Um, Saudi Arabia is working very hard on changing the way that it does business. Um, so about this time last year, the part we're interested in, of course, is the aviation. Um, and about this time last year, Saudi Arabia announced that they would launch a second national airline. Um, and this is all part of the Vision 2030 initiative. Um, so Vision 2030, essentially aims to move Saudi Arabia away from its reliance on oil by developing other sectors of the economy. Um, overall, the project is targeting an increase of non-oil revenues to around 45 billion rials, which is about $12 billion by the year 2030. And one of the key goals is to attract 100 million year yearly tourists by 2030. Now, that's about six times the number that visited in 2019. So, a massive uptick. Um, the new airline that they are 
are inventing is a key component of this. Um, and it's being bankrolled by Saudi Arabia's $340 billion public investment fund, or PIF, and will also benefit from a brand new airport being constructed in Riyadh. Um, so the officials said at the time that the new airline would boost Saudi Arabia's international destinations to more than 250, as well as doubling its cargo capacity to 4.5 million tonnes. Um, the new carrier is going to focus on tourists and business travellers, while the current national airline, Saudia, will move to mostly focusing on religious tourism, which is obviously a really big deal for Saudi Arabia as well. Um, so earlier this year, in about May, I think it was, Saudi Arabia shared its plans to become a major aviation hub, much like Dubai and Doha. Everybody wants to be Emirates. Um, but rather than building just one mega hub, it's going for a two hub strategy, which is kind of like what the UAE did, um, where Saudi will operate from Jeddah and the new airline will focus on Riyadh. Um, Jeddah, of course, is the gateway to the two holy mosques um, and the Red Sea line, while Riyadh is more of a business hub. So there'll be two very different products. And this is how Saudi Arabia is planning to not let the two airlines compete too closely with each other. Well, this week, we discovered that the new airline is probably going to be called RIA, R-I-A. And I'm not sure whether that's like, it, it's it's all in capital letters. So I don't know whether you pronounce it RIA or R-I-A, but we'll see. Um, and ultimately, the final decision on the naming of the airline probably rests with Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Um, so we'll wait and see what he says. Maybe he likes that name, maybe he doesn't. But either way, um, the, um, the new airline will be targeting 30 million international transit passengers by the end of the decade. That compares to only 4 million currently. So essentially, Saudi Arabia is aiming to do what Emirates did, but in a quarter of the timescale. So that's, you know, no mean feat. And I don't envy the person who takes the CEO helm of this new airline and the targets he's going to be expected to meet. Um, but as well as launching the airline, Saudi Arabia has been developing other aspects of its aviation um, ecosphere, shall we call it. Uh, they announced a new leasing company called Avilease a couple of months ago, uh, which is going to be acquiring a fleet of new generation narrow and wide body aircraft, um, initially focusing on growth through purchase and leaseback transactions portfolio acquisitions, and as well as direct orders with aircraft manufacturers. Again, it's backed by the PIF, um, which is one of the strongest and most influential sovereign wealth funds in the world. So, you know, deep pockets is an understatement. Um, but that's not all Saudi Arabia is doing. It has also committed to invest $100 billion into aviation by 2030. Some of that money, of course, will go on setting up RIA, this new national airline. But it's also looking to improve other aspects as well, in particular, making over its air traffic services. Um, part of that plan will involve introducing the Middle East's first remote air traffic control tower. Um, it's also working with a German company called Volocopter to develop smart electrical ver vertical takeoff and landing operations for a new city called Neom. Um, I don't know about you, Tom, but I keep getting bombarded on Twitter by adverts for Neom. It looks fabulous. It's like a long city that kind of it goes up and out instead of spreading horizontally and apparently it's all going to be completely sustainable and anyway i digress yeah, i don't <laughs> think i've had those adverts Have but, you not? Um, i think i've seen uh, james talking about the the city before on um in an article yeah it's um it's bizarre it's worth looking it up and just taking a look at their plans it's uh, mm. interesting um but yeah very futuristic indeed 
Um, so the first phase of, phase of NEOM is scheduled for completion in 2025. Um, and it's going to be a completely emissions-free city focused on sustainability, which um, will need these EV toll flights just to get people around. Um, but the kingdom's also looking at other sustainable aviation, um, such as the possibility of hydrogen electric powered Cessna caravan seaplanes to shuttle passengers across Saudi Arabia. So in a nutshell, Saudi Arabia is throwing a lot of money at aviation. And I think the next few years will be very interesting to watch. I don't know what you think, Tom. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, good luck, like I say to everyone, good luck with your plans and we'll <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> so please tell me about Lufthansa. Back back to Germany, back to Germany. Back to Germany, <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, so it's been a bit of a whirlwind week for Lufthansa because um, on Wednesday, the Veronica and Cockpit Union, uh, Wednesday last week, said that they would be... Um, what did they say? They said that they were going to go on strike on Friday. Um, so then on Thursday, Lufthansa cancelled around 800 flights for Friday. Um, and they only operated a skeleton schedule on Friday because, you know, without pilots, you can't fly. Well, that was that. Um, and then on Tuesday, um, the the union said, hang on, we're going to have an or Monday evening, I think. So being picked up on Tuesday, um, they said, hang on, we're going to have another strike. But this time it's going to be 48 hours from um, the start of Wednesday. So midnight Wednesday until the end of Thursday, midnight um, Friday. Um, and of course, you know, this would be absolute chaos for Lufthansa. If it's not flying passengers, it's not getting paid. Um, they weren't particularly happy with this. They, um, Lufthansa's uh, chief um, human resources um, gentleman said that he it was regrettable that um, the wage dispute continues to escalate uh, because he, they, we understand, uh, we lack any understanding for this course of action. The path of escalation is also wrong because we know our pilots would much rather fly than strike. Um, you know, I'm sure they'd much rather fly, but given that they wanted the pay rise, I'm sure they'd also much rather the pay rise. Um, but yeah, it's it's a tricky situation because um, a lot of the industry is is kind of saying, you know, we need to be paid more money at the moment. Um, and it was quite interesting because around about um, 12 o'clock, uh, or Lufthansa was due to make a decision at 12 o'clock on whether it would go ahead with, um, with cancelling flights um, for the following day. By one o'clock, we still hadn't heard anything, which kind of indicated that, you know, things were clearly going well in um in the boardroom between the union and and the airline, because if it wasn't going well, you know they would have pulled the plug because um, they need as much time as they can to. Um, you know, by that point, this is you can't really reaccommodate people by that point. But at least you can before people start travelling to the airport, you can say, "Hang on, your flight is not going to operate." Um, so they said that they reached an agreement um, in the afternoon, uh, so flights are operating as normal. Uh, Michael Groes who's the chairman of collective bargaining at the union, said we're pleased that a result could be achieved at the negotiating table and that further disadvantages for customers, employees, and the company can be avoided as a result. Today is an important first step towards sustainable cooperation. Um, and But they did remark that it's only a partial solution in their eyes. So it's enough to avoid the strikes, but kind of indicates that it's not quite the full package yet. Still talking um, to be done. Yeah. Um, 
So um, they said that um, the New Deal is includes a comprehensive package of monetary and structural issues, um, and this was essentially agreed and is awaiting elaboration in the coming days. So not entirely sure what that means, but uh, we'll find out in the coming days, I guess. Um, on Lufthansa's side, they said that the union has called off the strikes. This is good news, especially for our customers. Our flights will take place as planned in the coming days. Uh, we're pleased that we were able to reach a solution in constructive talks. So a pretty sort of, uh, you know, bog standard PR there. Um, it's... Um, you know, it, it, it's good that Lufthansa passengers aren't fly, facing more misery because um, two weeks ago on Friday, according to Radarbox.com's data, they operated 1,188 flights. But last Friday, they operated just 371 flights, so a decrease of 69%. Um, and, you know, I had a friend flying Lufthansa yesterday who was texting me every five minutes, do you have any news, do you have any news, do you have any news? Um, just because, you know, every other time there's been a strike, some of the flights the day before have been cancelled. Um, either, I guess, to ensure that there's not too many aircraft staying overnight at Frankfurt, or perhaps to make sure that there's not too many crew staying overnight elsewhere. Um, which, <laughs> you've got to pick one or the other, because they're kind of two opposing views, but um, who knows. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's really good to see that Lufthansa and the unions have managed to come to an agreement which both sides are, are semi-happy with, if not completely happy, um, if nothing else for the passengers, because both both of the sides mentioned the disruption to the passengers in their comments. And I think that is um, the number one, because, you know, obviously strikes, the whole idea is that you disrupt people to the point where, um, you know, some movement has to happen. But from a passenger point of view, especially with the short notice of the strikes, they're being announced um, pretty much not much more than 24 hours before they want to happen. It really doesn't give you much time to deal with it. At least, you know, with uh, when BAs had strikes, we've had at least 48 hours notice, um, not 48 hours, two weeks notice. So, yeah. you know, if you've got two weeks notice that your flight has been cancelled, you've at least got some time to work out alternates whereas you know with a day or if that of notice it, it's really tough to work out so yeah. from the passenger point of view even though i'm not flying with lufthansa i'm very happy that they've managed to sort that all out yeah um, also while i'm talking lufthansa or a little side point i didn't want to dedicate a whole section to this because we did that last week but um lufthansa has put its first 787 flights on sale um from october 19th the 787 is down for um well, it is down for free flights a day between Frankfurt and Munich, uh, free return trips, although some days, uh, specifically Tuesdays, I don't think it's operating, and some other days, only one or two of the rotations are operating, but... Um if you want to get on a domestic 787 flight in Germany, probably the only chance you'll get to do that. Um, from October 19th to October 31st, it's down for LH96, LH101, 106, 111, 114, and 119. Um, and, you know, we've got the full details on our website if you're interested in looking into that. Um, one word of warning is that, you know, number one, you should check that the aircraft type says 787 before you book, because if it says a a320 then you probably won't get the 787 but also you know you've got to be aware that Lufthansa can change the aircraft type at any notice maybe it goes tech um maybe crew are sick uh, maybe there's any other number of reasons to put an A320 on the flight so and Lufthansa's explicitly said this in their marketing um on Twitter you know they've said aircraft can change at short notice for operational reasons so you know if you book it and you end up on an A320 you've really got no 
leg to stand on in terms of compensation or rebooking or anything um, in that regard. Um, although, you know, I think there might be something about the, the aircraft types change, but, you know, they'll still fly you from A to B at the same time. So there's not really any disadvantage to the passenger. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, a word of warning, you know, if you want to fly on it, go for it. But don't be surprised if it does get changed at short notice, although hopefully it won't. Um, but speaking of new aircraft and new cabins, I thought you had something you wanted to tell me, Joe. Mm, I do. I just want to touch very briefly on um, Northern Pacific Airways, who Simple Flying fans will remember is a startup airline that plans to fly one-stop itineraries between the United States and Asia via Anchorage. We've spoken about them before on the podcast. Um, obviously, they haven't started flying yet. I'm, I think a lot of people think they never will, but I'm a firm believer. Um, I've met the, the management team for this airline and they're very serious and they've got lots of money behind them. So um, things have actually moved on quite a bit in the fast past few months. So if you remember, they unveiled their first Boeing 757 back in January, I think it was. Um, now they have three and there are more on the way. Um, very kindly, one of the people close to the airline actually sent us some exclusive photos of the interiors. I believe all the other publications have had them now, but uh, we were the first, honest. <laughs> um, all fitted out and ready to go on a 757 um, they did tease the seat designs back at the launch event for their first 757, but now we get to see them on the plane. Um, so in the economy cabin, we've got seats in a 3-3 layout and they're all upholstered in black leather. Um, what I think is really nice is that they've brought the branding from the outside into the inside of the plane um, with some really lovely embroidery. So there's some angular graphics on the seat back cushion that are very much similar to the way that the you've got the angular graphics on the outside. And then the, the airline's trademark Big N is embroidered on that on the adjustable headrest um, in white cotton, which I think is a really nice touch. Um, and then we do know as well that they're going to have a premium cabin. It's not business. Um, they always said they weren't going to have business. It is like a more like a premium economy, I guess. Um, kind of so, like the Norse Norwegian model. Yeah, or, pretty much yeah. the same as that. Um, so up the front, it looks like um, maybe three or four rows. I didn't get a full cabin shot, but it's either three or four rows of seats in a 2-2 layout um, with, again, the black leather, um, some lovely stitch work on the embroidery with the graphics, the angled graphics and the embroidered end on the headrest um, and these front seats have a, a big wide armrest which obviously gives more personal space but it also has the the tray table inside it which makes it quite convenient you know if the passenger in front is reclining that you haven't got to have your tray table attached to the back of their seat and uh, suddenly lose all the space for your drinks and food and laptop and what have you um, so we also kind of got a glimpse of what the rest of the plane's going to look like inside so throughout it's been given really nice black carpets um, very plain white sidewalls it's all very private jet you know it looks really nice um, and the bulkheads between the cabins are finished in a nice charcoal gray so it's all quite monochrome very modern I liked it um, but you know the exciting thing is that they sent the exterior shots as well and from this we can see they've got another two planes currently being worked on so the very first plane was N627MP um, that was one of the six it ordered in September 2021 um, but now it 
it has another two in the workshop that are nearly finished being liveried. I guess they're having their interiors worked on as well. Um, so the first is um, going to be registered N628MP. And this was a former American Airlines plane, um, formerly registered N206UW. It was originally delivered to US Air in 1995. Um, and the other one is going to be N630NP, which is N200UU, former N200UU, also an ex-American Airlines plane, originally delivered to US Air in 1995. So all from the same kind of retirement tranche. <laughs> oh, you're just a baby, Tom. Um, so it has said that it wants to have a launch fleet of 13 in total when it starts going to Asia. Um, and it's got all those planes lined up. Um, they'll include six United ex-United Airlines airplanes and three from Iceland Air um, that are all on their way. Um, once those planes have cleared out of the workshop, they'll be getting the next ones in to paint them up. So, you know, the fleet building is coming along very nicely. A lot of people have been concerned about this airline because, of course, they applied to fly to Japan and South Korea um, via Anchorage, but they haven't done that. And they've actually applied to fly somewhere rather different. Um, so this is not their fault. Um, I have to say, like, it's still very difficult to fly to Asia because of health restrictions. But more important, they couldn't have planned for what happened in Russia. And the restricted air airspace around Russia means that you have to take a sizable detour from Anchorage to both Seoul and Tokyo. Um, so it's almost impossible to actually get to those places with the 757. Um, I think they could just about reach Tokyo, but certainly not Seoul. Um, so, but the thing is, they've got planes, they've got crew, they're ready to go. So rather than just sitting around waiting for things to change, they've decided to fly shorter routes from to Mexico from Southern California. Um, the reason for this is they've got a big maintenance base in Ontario. It's a really easy way for the airline to cut its teeth, for their crew to get some flying under their belts on a less complex operation. Um, you know, and Rob told uh, my colleague Summit that this is one of the great things about Northern Pacific. We're, we're nimble and we're able to pivot to meet whatever the current situation is. So it is a short term change of plan, but I have every faith in this airline working out, um, you know, its longer term goals with the US to Asia via Anchorage. Um, but, you know, it makes sense for it to keep its momentum going and start building some customer loyalty and some income, of course, uh, while it plays the waiting game on the, the Russian airspace issue. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm excited to see them finally get get going, and um, good luck to them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we'll keep you posted on all of this news. Um, please do. Um, we, we sorry, <laughs> I've absolutely lost the thread of what I was going to say. That's it for today's podcast. That's what I was going to say. We hope you enjoyed it, and as usual, welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye.